Welcome to episode six of What's That Sound podcast. My name is Stu Watts. Today I talked with Zach Knight of Earth Tide Studios. We talked a lot about vocal production. So if you're interested in vocal production, this is a great episode for you. We talk about why emotion is so important when you're recording vocals, why vocal production is such a big part of the song as a whole, as well as Zach's new course. So stay tuned to What's That Sound podcast. This episode is awesome. Let's do it. You're listening to What's That Sound with your host, Stu Watts. Welcome. Here we are for another episode of What's That Sound podcast. My guest today, Zach Knight. Welcome. Thanks, man. Thanks for being here. That's all right. wasn't uh, wasn't too long of a trip to get here. <laughs> <laughs> it's good stuff. Good stuff. So, for anyone that doesn't know who you are, can yeah. you tell us about yourself and what you're currently doing? Well, I'm uh, I'm Zach Knight. So I run a studio in the southeast of Melbourne called Earth Tide Studios. I've been playing music now for 20 years. That makes me sound really old. <laughs> um, and producing records now, like professionally for about five or six years, but I've been doing that on and off for a decade or so as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I essentially do like full scale production for bands and artists. And I do a lot of, a lot of different styles of music. Mm -hmm. I don't really pigeonhole myself to anything. So Mm -hmm. long as it's like killer vocals, I'm, I'm down pretty much. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, and I, uh, (laughs) I do a lot of other things yeah, yeah. as well, uh, which we can which we can go into um, yeah, production, man. mentoring, plugin uh, building, game development. Yeah, yeah. There's tons of stuff. That very I do. very creative guy. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> Tell us about the early days, like uh, growing up. What was what was music? What did music mean to you? Well, music was interesting for me because I think I started. Gosh, I mean, you know, here we are back in like the very late eighties when I was like three or four. Um, I, I started off getting lessons really early. Mum was like, oh, you know, you should go play some music. So I started piano when Mm -hmm. I was like three or four, I think. Um, and that was my first instrument and definitely I found that really fundamental for understanding how to read music, Okay, which you know, I found that actually kind of really helped me in the early days because I didn't actually start writing songs until I was like 14, 15. Played piano for like, I don't know, four years. Yep. Then I played flute mm-hmm. and then I played violin. There you go. And then um, it wasn't until I was 13 that I started playing guitar because my stepbrother at the time, um, he looked like Kurt Cobain. Okay. And he uh, was obsessed with Nirvana yep. and he was the one who like introduced me to grunge and stuff Sweet. like that. Uh, and I'm like, oh, I've got to, got to play guitar, mm-hmm. you know? So I, mum was like, yeah, sure, sure. So she went and got me an acoustic guitar and I started learning and went from there. Um, yeah. And so that sort of was the kicker for a while. And it, uh, yeah, I was playing guitar probably all the way through high school. Definitely yep. wasn't very good. Yep. Terrible. Yep. Tried writing songs, so, not very good. <laughs> so you, what what were the music that you were loving when you were a teenager? Um, I would definitely say it was a it was a bit of a mixed bag. Um, mm-hmm. The first 
CD that I bought was the Living End self-titled. Unreal. What yeah. an album. <laughs> I know. What an album. I know. Um, <laughs> very like kind of cool just way to get into um, having my own music that I could listen to yeah. all the time. Mm-hmm. I had like a, a room downstairs in our house in, in Tassie and I had my mm-hmm. little CD player and mm-hmm. I would just jam that album nonstop. And yeah. it was funny. I had that one. Yep. And then I went to Sanity. Yep. Old school, yep. <laughs> and uh, on the same day I bought the Backstreet Boys. Yep. And two Deftones records. Right. <laughs> I was going to say we had similar tastes, but uh, Deftones I wasn't into really too much. But Backstreet Boys, I was like huge into like <laughs> that stuff. But then it was like alternative music. Like I had Hit Machine CDs. So it was like I love the alternative stuff like, you know, Blink, Jamiroquai, mm. you know, just the weirder stuff that were on those albums, no doubt. I mean, mm. it's not weird now because that's – pretty much the music that I listened I know, to. But, like but back, back then, then it was like, what is this? Like it didn't really make sense because all you were hearing was like Backstreet Boys and Spice Girls on the radio. But oh, yeah. yeah. And it was yep. it was kind of funny because I used to work uh, like later on in high school, I worked at this cafe just like washing dishes and stuff. Yep. And one of the managers there was like obsessed with Jamiroquai. Mm-hmm. And so he played the album that had Canned Heat on like mm-hmm. repeat yeah, like yeah. every Saturday yep. to the point where like – I was washing dishes along with like yeah, the rhythm yep. of the song. Yep. And yep. It was cool. I mean, that's like, that's a really, it's probably where I got my love for like, I guess you could say like more kind of cool, funky, mm-hmm. like popular style vocals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just cause yep. the, the vocals on all the Jamiroquai stuff was insane. It's crazy. Yeah. 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 But like for me it was, yeah, it was, it was, I'd say like first off it started off with like, the Living End and Deftones and yep. then obviously a bit more pop kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then it very quickly, like Deftones became part of it and then it very quickly became like all about like Deftones, Corn, Limp Biscuit, yep. System of a Down, mm-hmm. um, like Risking It for the Biscuit constantly, yeah, yeah. Um, Grinspoon, The Vines, yep. Yep. Um, even Antiseptic yep. when they got popular yeah, on yep. Triple J. Yeah, yep. Um, and then all of the, cause like that was also the era where pop punk was like smashing the mainstream as well. I'm talking yeah, yeah. like, you know, 99, 99 yeah. to 2002, yeah. yep. 2003. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause I finished high school in 2003. Yep. Um, and so like every time I'd go to a party, everyone would be playing. And this is, this is what it was like then you'd go, uh, Christina Aguilera, Blink-182, Limp Biscuit, System of a Down, five. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they were all like what was the most popular right then. And yeah, it was yeah. crazy because it was like there was such a big jump between styles. Yeah. But no one cared. Well, I think the 90s was huge for experimentation. Like obviously all the record labels had so much money that they were throwing around mm. that it was just like, yeah, let's give money to these random artists and see what blows up because they, I think they were just like, going for it Mm. and that is that definitely led to a lot of experimentation and obviously the um you know the 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 culture that was around was not the it was all about like sex it was all about you know the youth you Mm. know and you know i i watched a just like a youtube video that was explaining the movies at the time and how 
a lot of the themes in movies at the time was about rebelling and, you know, being against the system like The Matrix, you know, Fight Club, those sorts of things. And music mm. went alongside that. There was very rebellious. It was There was a lot of – alongside the crystal clear pop sort of stuff, there was angry music. You know, hip-hop was kind of starting to oh, yeah. get really into the mainstream in the late 90s, early 2000s, obviously new metal, that sort of stuff. So it was very interesting. But mm. – um. Where did um, you obviously played in bands when you were, you know, early teens and later in your teens? What well, what sort of stuff were you playing then? Actually, I never, I did play with a couple of friends, mm-hmm. but I actually didn't start playing live music until I was twenty three. Right? Yeah. So late, uh, late, 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 late bloomer. Yeah. Um. So back in high school, like I'd be playing. I wasn't very good, so it was like a lot of like Blink. Mm-hmm. Um. I tried to play some Deftone songs. Yep. A lot of Jebediah. Yep, love Jebediah. <laughs> Which was funny and like Grinspoon and stuff like yeah, that. Yep. I never bothered trying to play The Living End because I was like, that's way too yeah. hard. <laughs> <laughs> Loved it, but it was way too hard. Yep, yep. When I, once I discovered drop tuning, I couldn't go back. Yeah, yep. fair <laughs> enough. Where did production come into it then? Well, that actually came into play when I moved to Melbourne mm-hmm. when I was 18, okay. uh, straight out of school. So I was like, I want to do music mm-hmm. and... I am not a great musician. I'm not a great player. Okay. So like at school, um, instead of majoring in performance, I majored in composition. Okay. Um, and so I would write like four-piece string quartet cool. um, pieces cool. and like some experimental guitar pieces and things like that. And with the help of my music teacher, I actually ended up getting like really good marks in composition. Um, and I started to analyze the music really mm-hmm. well. So I said... Well, if I can't do performance and music, maybe I will try and do production instead. Mm-hmm. There was nothing available mm-hmm. in Tasmania. Mm-hmm. So the only option for me was to come over to Victoria. Yep. And so with a lot of coercion with my dad, mm-hmm. I came over to Melbourne and went to JMC. Okay. Yep. And I went there for two years. And that was interesting because in the two years that I was there, no shade to JMC, but I did not really earn, learn very much mm, at all. Yeah. I found yeah, that yep. the experience was essentially like all I really learnt from them was like maybe some basic signal flow stuff. Yep. Um, and a lot of like fundamentals of what se- how sound works. Yeah, yeah. the science behind it. Yeah. Which, is, which is very useful for me now. Yes. But was not useful for me then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's funny that because I, I went to TAFE and it was a very similar thing. I... I remember the stuff that I remember from it is the basics of EQing, the basics of signal flow, you know, checking, like troubleshooting, you know, leads, you know, microphones, those sorts of things. It wasn't as much a how-to because when you think about it, it is such a difficult thing to teach beginners, you know, once you have a, a bit more of an understanding after, you know, been looking into things for one or two years, it can be easy to look back and go like, what was I actually learning then? Because it, it's, it's like, how do you teach someone to have a good ear? You know, how do you teach someone to analyze music? It's, it can be very complicated. So I think schools must have a really difficult time figuring out like, okay, what do we actually need to teach? Mm. And it has to be fundamentals, but you're right. It doesn't, when you don't know, when you don't have that awareness of production and listening to music and analyzing music, it's kind of like, 
I, I get it, but I, how do I apply this? So mm. yeah, it's, yeah, it's fascinating. I def- yeah, I definitely think. I mean, I'm sure it's changed now, mm. but I definitely think um, I would have been able to start my career in production a lot earlier if they have give, had have given us a lot more practical application. Yep. Like you know, let's work on like work on this production. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, actually, like, let's work on this together. Mm-hmm. Especially because when I went there, um, it was at the very end of the, like, analog, analog versus digital. Yep. And they hadn't embraced that digital was going to be the beast that it is. Yes. So there was a lot of, like, you know, talking about, like, console maintenance. Yep. Which has never been tape. used. How to cut tape. Yeah. Um, we I went actually through that did, as well. <laughs> yeah. We actually spent the first year recording everything to ADAP. Yep. Same. Yeah. And I'm like, I've never done that since. Yeah, no. And it's not that it's not like. It a, was, it was, it was how you did it at the time. It was. Yeah. But they had Pro Tools. Yeah. And they also had in, we had this lab, mm-hmm. which just had like all these, you remember the big giant white computers? No. Uh, like old PC boxes. Oh, yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So we had this lab with like 10 of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With Cubase on every single yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but no headphones. Yeah, right. And they were like, oh, yeah, no, we're just going to work on, like you're going to like build a song in Cubase. And I'm like, but, but, but what do you mean? <laughs> like we're going to build a song in Cubase, but they never told us like how to use Cubase. Right. Yeah, and they, right. Just, they just said you, you can work it out. Yeah, and it's interesting they chose Cubase because Pro Tools was obviously the king at that, at that <laughs> at time. At the time, yeah, But yeah. Cubase was probably free through there, through like the education system or some shit like that. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it was it was weird. It was weird. And I, they had this assumption that everybody had like their own laptop mm-hmm. and had been doing like production mm-hmm. stuff mm-hmm. and was like, you know, going to go and find artists and bands mm-hmm. and things to record mm-hmm. outside of school or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I was like... I came over here from Tasmania. I know nobody. I have nothing. Like I'm not, like I didn't know that it was in my interest to go and get a part-time job, get a, get a laptop and get my own recording interface Mm -hmm. and start like practicing to record at the same time. Cause, cause not, no one ever, like I only found out about that, like, Towards the end of the second year. I was going to say, how, like, how did you then know to do that? Was it just like process of elimination? Like, what am I doing? Like, I need something. Well, essentially it was one of the other guys in my class eventually Mm -hmm. who started doing some music with me. Um, We ended up forming our first band together Mm -hmm. like a couple years, like a year and a bit later, Mm -hmm. was just like, where's your laptop? Where's Mm -hmm. where's your computer? Like, Mm -hmm. why are you not recording things? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't. I don't know what you mean. And he goes, no, no. like, I have my own laptop and yeah, I practice right. recording with my, I think he had a Scarlet. Inbox in- or something. M- yeah. He had an inbox actually. Yeah, yeah he had yeah. an inbox. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, right, mm-hmm. cool. Well, yeah. I don't have any money, so I better get a job. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah that's it, funny. It was weird because in the same thing though, um, I had a, my career kind of like I started off um, and then everything sort of came to a bit of a grinding halt because I was going to school, but because my mum didn't have a lot of money and my dad had said he was going to like help me out mm. to be able to, to, to cover rent and stuff. Mm, mm. Um, and then three months in, all the money just stopped. Yeah, right. Yep. And so the, for the first 
whole rest of that year and then I went back to Tassie and then back again, Mm -hmm. I essentially had no money. So I basically had to just like couch hop Mm -hmm. every two to three weeks. Yeah, right. To a new place. Wow. So for like in the first time, first year I was in Melbourne, I lived in like 18 houses. Wow. And essentially I was like, I wasn't, but I was essentially homeless for the first, nearly for the first year that I was in Melbourne. Wow. So there was no way for me to start my production career. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then I came back and through a, it's just, I'm very nerdy as well as people will find out, but halfway, a, a little bit into the second year, I moved in with a Slovenian guy and his yep. mum that yep. I'd met through a local Magic the Gathering group right, that I was right, part of. Right, And he let me live there. They let me live there for a couple of months while I tried to find a part-time job and then I started paying my own rent. And, yeah, yep. And essentially, yeah, um, that was weird. That was very weird. Um, <laughs> and so it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't for a while, mm. like a good long while before yeah. I was able to get back into doing production. And do you remember, um, like when your brain started to appreciate production and understand it, you know, were there any specific, you know, idols that you had that you looked up to? Absolutely. So I would say it started happening when I was around 23, when I Mm -hmm. started playing live music with my first band, Mm -hmm. um, which was, uh, which was interesting one. That was when I started obviously meeting a lot of people in the music industry, So we were like a progressive rock slash new metal band. Mm-hmm. Um, we got very lucky. Uh, we weren't a great band, but our singer was Alex from Drown This City. Okay, yep. Um, that's how I, like I I met her. We met her through yeah, MySpace. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she was like, oh, like I'm, you know, she's a, a classically trained singer, yeah. like an opera singer. Yeah, yeah. Incredible singer. And yep. she's like, I love hardcore um, and I'm going to scream. I'm going to learn how to scream. I'm going to teach myself. Cool. Um, and we're going to do this stuff. And she's the one who, because I'm from Tassie, I didn't mm. know what hardcore was. She introduced me to yeah, hardcore right. when I was like 23. <laughs> I was so go. late to the party. Yeah, yeah. Everyone was just like, she's like, this is Parkway Drive. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh, this is sick. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, you're like five years behind, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's funny as. Yeah. Um, but, you know, obviously like I really connected with it because it, because of the the ethos and everything, which mm-hmm, worked really mm-hmm. well, which comes from the rebellion mm-hmm. from all the other yeah, music yeah, anyway. Um, but yeah, uh, it wasn't until I started like we did an EP and that sort of went. It was it was okay, but um, it sort of didn't really work out very mm. well. And then I started doing my own music, mm-hmm. and that was when for it, which ended up becoming Renegade Armada. Okay, yep, I remember uh, the name. Yep, yep. yep. Um, and it was at that point in time that I'd made really good friends with Dan from Nabarus and Chris from Orpheus, who are two of my best mates. Cool. Um, and Chris was doing production okay. and he had been learning from a guy that you might know, Ehrman, who has submission audio. Okay. Uh, yeah. He's like a weird. mastering engineer. He does mastering for like uh, periphery and stuff okay. like that. Yeah. And he's got Crazy. a... Um, his own company where he has, he's like makes builds plugins and stuff. And he's, yeah, yeah, cool. he's a, he's a, a Australian Russian guy. Cool. I think I forget the other, I'll, if I get it wrong, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've never met him, but okay. he, he, he seemed to be this wealth of knowledge. Cool. Um, and so he passed, he, he taught Chris a lot of what Chris knows. Yep. 
Um, and I started doing some recordings with Chris just because I'd seen that he was doing good stuff. Yeah, yeah. And he was just like helping to explain things to me. And all of a sudden I started to realize I'm like, oh, I love Terry Date. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it was Terry Date, um, John Feldman, yep. Chris Crummett, and um, Dan Corniff. Cool. Yeah, and they yeah. were like the first starting off ones mm-hmm. um, where I was really starting to like. Do you remember what it was about those specific producers that you liked? Um, I think for Terry Date, it was just how everything he touched just seemed to be, I wouldn't say flawless, just like emotional. Mm-hmm. Everything he touched was emotional. Yeah. Like all the artists that he worked with, all of the productions, they were always just so like you could sort of lose yourself into them. Mm. They kind of like a bit of a dream. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, I mean, I know now I realize that like 50% of what Deftones did was basically heavy shoegaze. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. This, oh, it's its own beast, yeah. It is. It's yeah. really weird. It's it's coming back into trend now, which mm. is kind of cool. Mm. But, um, but mm. yeah, it's funny because I was like, yeah, I was slamming that when I was 14. <laughs> <laughs> Old man. <laughs> um, but, yeah, uh, that and... Um, it was also just like discovering that music could be heavy without mm-hmm. being crazy heavy, like hearing mm-hmm. the intricacies when I discovered like Pierce the Veil. Yeah. And yep. how like I was like because I spent a lot of time like being part of the prog rock world with mm-hmm. my old band and back then that was like when like Dead Letter Circus and 12 Foot Ninja um, were like coming up yep. and I made – like I got to make pretty good friends with the guys in 12 foot and, and like watch them play and be like, wow, you are like monsters. At yeah, the stage. yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Um, so for me, it was kind of mm-hmm. like that whole just realizing that music could be like cool and technical and heavy, but like also be like not heavy, like have all of this space for mm, vocals. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of like that and and also just discovering like, what it was to be able to get distorted guitars to sound good on a record. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing I've noticed about listening to your music is it's obviously most of the stuff that you work on, safe to say, is heavy music, right? Mm. You know, you are working on some more uh, modern, you know, melodic trap stuff that you were telling me about before, but, mm. you know, most of the stuff that you've worked on in the past is heavy music. Mm. I would say, you know, uh, melodic hardcore is probably the simplest way to, to put it. The simplest it. way. Yeah. 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 yeah and, sure. but the thing that I noticed about the actual sounds that you're getting is it's crystal clear, like it's pristine, mm. you know, even if it's distorted guitars and screaming vocals, the clarity is there. Mm. Is that something that you got from those producers or do you think that that's something that you've always just focused on as your own approach? I think it's a combination. I definitely feel like for me, I always, I always wanted everything to mm. be as perfect as possible mm-hmm. and heard. Mm-hmm. And it was mm-hmm. something that, cause I got lucky. I got to assist underneath Chris for a couple of years yep. before I decided to go out on my own. Yep. Um, and he was always just like in the world of metal. Like he mm. does a lot of far more metal, metal stuff than I do. Yep. He's like always in the world of metal. He's like, you're fighting for so much space. Mm everything needs to be as good as possible. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I was like, that's cool, but I love pop music and I want everything to just be like, have this 
glorious polish on it. Yeah. Um, which is why, like, essentially he's like, he's like everything that you touch basically just sounds like the pop version of yeah. that thing. Yeah, yeah. And then I got lucky, um, like maybe I think it was like mid-2020, I actually got to start working on just just pop mm. with with an artist and I was like, wow, this is like great. Yeah. I can do so much stuff because mm-hmm. there's so much room and she's just like, wow, how many vocal layers do you want to do on this? And I'm like, okay, well, let's do 300 in this song. <laughs> like we came up with all of these like cool rhythmic percussive vocal things great. to do in the song because there's, there's so much space. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I think that, that's one thing that I also appreciate about music is that different scenes and different styles of music can teach you different things mm. and without working on different styles of music and limiting yourself to one genre, for example, metal or whatever it might be, or even hip hop, or you limit yourself to that palette. Mm. You can only get influenced by so much. And I love working on as many different styles of music. There's not really a limit to the stuff that I work on, which is another thing that's really cool because you can take, you know, elements of pop music and you can put it in a heavy punk song Or you can take, you know, distorted guitars from a metal song and you can put it in a pop song and make it sound cool. And Mm. it's, it is that sort of interesting elements that people are drawn to that they, that grabs their attention because they're like, oh, I haven't heard this before. Like, how do they do that? And so that, that's something that, that I love. So that's, that's a really good point that you make, man. Yeah, Um, yeah, for sure. Do you have an, (laughs) an approach that is like a set approach for, different artists that you work with? Cause I mean, you, I think that you have a sound. Yeah. And so does it look the same every time that you work with different bands? Um, to a certain point, yes. And mm-hmm. to a certain point, no, mm-hmm. it depends on the artists, the style of music that they're wanting to do and how much help they need from me. Right. Right. And how much help they need from me is the largest deciding factor. Okay. Um, because I've had some of the stuff that I've got there, like I've done a very large amount of like the songwriting and really like helping shape the sound. Yeah. And other artists I've had, they've come in and I have like not really changed the songwriting much at all and focused purely on the, on the production. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then... There's artists where they'll come in and they'll be like, we have a lot of instrumental, but like we need you to help craft all of the vocals with our vocalist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I would say my main process is like pre-production is probably the most important thing for me. Yeah. If an artist or a band can try and secure some funds to be able to get as much pre-production as they can Mm -hmm. because and and pre-production and then time afterwards for them to process and learn the changes before we start tracking. Yep. Yep. Cause love it. Yeah. Um, I spend a lot of time vocal engineering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm very, very, very particular. Mm-hmm. Like I'll get, I might get somebody to shoot the same line over a dozen times and yeah, three or four of them are great, but the emotion is only there on one. Yep. You know? Yeah, you're looking for the emotion. <laughs> I mean, people aren't listening for, I mean, as much as it's important to focus on clarity and, you know, pristine sound, they're, at the end of the day, they are listening to the song. Mm. But every little thing matters. So as much as I'm saying the focus is on the song, 
it is important to look at every little thing, every each little step of the way. But your point about pre-production is really great. And if I can second that is it is so not even thought about as bands that are just starting out that just think that you go into the studio to record the song that you've got. They, you know, the experience that you'll see all the time is, yeah, let's record the song. And they'll go, yep, this is how it goes. That's the song. And it's like, well, hold on. There's so much more that you could do with this mm. arrangement wise, tempo wise. Is it in the right key for your voice? So many little things that just add up to making that song extra special mm. that, yeah, I second it hundred percent pre-production. <laughs> like if you don't do it, you're missing out on the biggest chunk of like making the song as good as it possibly can. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. And that's, mm -hmm. it's interesting because, um, I would argue that like the pre-production is besides besides vocal engineering, mm -hmm. I would argue that that is probably the most crucial part of being a good producer. Right. Like um, something that I've recently started doing that I've started doing for myself because my my wife gave me the idea mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. for my own songs and, and um, she's a, a wealth of knowledge, so that really helped, is that... Um, I've started when I when I work with an artist mm -hmm. and unless they come in really, really sure mm -hmm. um, and are like straight away telling me what the song is about, mm -hmm. um, I get them to write down the story of their song. Mm -hmm. And I essentially when they're sitting there trying to both like we're, we're adjusting the music or they're trying to craft extra lyrics for the second verse or you know, working on the bridge or thinking about like the vocal tone they want to use for mm -hmm. this extra vocal mm -hmm. layer. Um, every time they second guess themselves, I'm like, well, let's refer back to the story of the song mm -hmm. and let that influence the decision that you're going to make. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, this is your song. Like I'm the whole point of me being a producer. I'm a vehicle mm -hmm. to create the best version mm -hmm. of your music. Mm -hmm. It's not my music. It's your music. And you're paying me, like, yeah, we might develop a great relationship and ideally that's that's really cool. A lot of my, uh, you know, a lot of my clients have become really close friends. Mm -hmm. But I am here to serve you, so let's take your story and make it fantastic. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the times when I say to, like, say to artists, I'm like, oh, write down the story of your song, sometimes they're like, oh, there isn't a story. And I'm like, well, then actually let's put a pin right yeah. there if you don't have a story behind your song, then why are you making this song? Mm. Like I understand, you know, I, I've got a career and it, it's nice to earn money as yeah. a producer. Yeah, yeah. But if someone's coming in to do a song mm. and they don't have a story behind their song, mm. do they have a song? <laughs> it's, it's very difficult to, you know, ob obtain things like emotion into vocals mm. without having some emotional connection to it. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I find vocals the most difficult thing to write. And so I don't envy the the vocal writer or the lyric writer who doesn't have to be the vocalist. But without emotion connected to it, it's very difficult to put yourself in the right headspace to deliver an amazing performance. You'll, you'll very rarely have, you know, an amazing band that has okay lyrics that performs really amazing you know, has an, an amazing performance. Mm. Usually the, the most popular bands have something about the vocal that people can connect with. 
Mm. Without emotion connecting you to your own lyrics, how can the listener connect to it? Well, I mean, they can't. Yeah. That's the thing. That's, That's it. the thing, yeah. you know. And yeah. I mean, unless you're creating instrumental music, which, yeah. by the way, it's again, still, there's still journey and story yeah, and yeah, and yeah. there's still a there's still a vocal in yeah. that, but the vocal just gets taken over by a musical instrument yeah, or yeah, a part yeah, or a piece yeah. or a motif or anything along yeah, those lines. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's a point like that I've definitely had to work on with artists and work on for myself mm. um, because – and it was, a, it was something that actually helped guide why I've now decided to start um, being a, a production mentor to, to younger producers, teaching them um, – teaching them essentially how to be vocal production like powerhouses because Mm -hmm. it's something that I I didn't think it was a kind of a skill that can be taught. Mm. It can't really be taught unless you have a passion for music. But if you have a passion for music, Mm. it could be taught. Mm. So long as you have, I I would say that the most important skill is you need to have empathy for other people Mm. to be a good Mm -hmm. producer. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean like you don't have to be a great musician Mm. to be a good producer. You just have to have empathy. Yeah. I mean, I'm, uh, some people might debate that I'm a good musician. I personally <laughs> don't think I'm a great musician, but that's because I've got a lot of virtuoso friends. Um, maybe. Who knows? But I would say that I'm pretty good at being mm. able to help other people decide what to do with their own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'd say that um, that was probably the driving point of me starting out. Yeah. Trying to, to, uh, get involved in, in helping coach and mentor other other producers, which has yeah. been something I've only very recently gotten into doing. Yeah, nice. Yeah. What um, what troubles have you had? You know, because obviously when you start something out, there's always learning curves. Mm. What, what are some of the learning <laughs> curves when it comes to that sort of thing? Well, funnily enough, so there's sort of two pieces to the, to the puzzle with that. I actually... The first thing I decided to do, and this is a, a bit of a uh, byproduct of everything that's been going on with the world and the music industry, mm-hmm. which I'm sure you and anyone else listening can relate to. Yep. Um, I found myself, uh, so I decided to go full-time as a record producer in August 2019. Yep. All right. And I had a whole bunch of stuff lined up mm-hmm. and things were looking up. Mm-hmm. Um, I lived in an apartment in Caulfield mm-hmm. with my uh, she was my girlfriend at the time, fiance at the time. We hadn't gotten married yet. Yep. Now a wife. Um, and, and she was like, after 10 years of working in insurance, mm-hmm. she was like, you're not happy there and you're great at this. Mm-hmm. Go for it. Mm-hmm. Like you've mm-hmm. got five or six months worth of work lined up. Yeah, yeah. Just just go for yeah, it. Yeah, just do it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I did. Um, and of course, and then we, we got married in March mm-hmm. and then a week later, the entire music industry shut down, mm-hmm. just completely yep. shut down. And you felt that too. Well, I was, I was due to get uh, married March 28th. Wow. <laughs> 2020. Wow. And I went to a wedding on the 14th of March. We got married on the 13th. There you go. There you go. Wow. I, I went to a wedding on the 14th, came back, and then that next week was the worst week of my life. Because <laughs> Gosh, yeah. We'd had everything set out. But anyway, that's the story for another time. But yeah, man. <laughs> that's I, a different, like, that's a different yeah. podcast yep. for Stu. <laughs> that's it. I've talked about it on other stuff. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, for sure. <laughs> but yeah, um, so I there was a whole bunch of like work the leftover that I could mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. And, and I started to um, 
go through the process of teaching myself how to start coding because I thought, oh, okay, I'm going to maybe I'll build some plugins right. in the meantime, which is a separate thing. And yeah, that yeah. actually has <laughs> happened to a point. Um, and then I, I realized I'm like, you know what, like I've really noticed that a lot of other people don't have this approach mm-hmm. to, to vocal production that mm-hmm. I do. Mm-hmm. Like everyone has basically said I'm obsessed with vocal production. Mm-hmm. Maybe I am. And so I was like, you know what, like I don't need to share this. I don't need to keep this information. So I started making YouTube videos. Yep. And then as a byproduct of that, I was like, you know what, maybe I should just make a course mm-hmm. and share all the information. <laughs> yep. So I spoke with a longstanding client, um, Josh Flint, um, and the band was Elements at the time and they're now called Reclament. Yep. And they're kind of like this uh, combination between like Periphery and architects. Okay. Um, and they have, he's a ridiculous vocalist. He's got like a four octave range. Crazy. I know. I um, I taught him how to pitch for ice cream the way that I do. Right. Um, and he's better at it than me. Yeah. And so now he's got that like, that Sam Carter style sound, which yep. is really, really yeah, cool. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then I also discovered that because he's really good at didgeridoo, that um, I could get him to do throat singing. Crazy. So like, you know, Gregorian chant yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so we, what we did is I, I, I worked out an agreement with the band. The band came and produced a song with yep. me yep. in between some of the lockdowns mm-hmm. and we did all the instrumental, instrumental mm-hmm. and I refused to listen to any of the vocals okay. at all. We lined it all up and then at the very, like March, 2021, um, and we started the music... <laughs> Music towards the end of 2020 mm-hmm. and because we had to just jump in between sessions yeah, yep. and things. So March 2021, he came into the studio and I had I got my friend Cooper from Frontier Season, is a legend, um, who came and helped out with the filming. We set up multiple cameras, mm-hmm. had my computer running with OBS screen capturing. Yeah, yep. And we did two full days in my tiny little apartment. Yep. Basically just filming me going through everything that I do and yep. I heard the vocal demo for the first time on camera. Yep. yep. Cool. Um, did all the vocal production with him, all the engineering. And we tried to cram in like, we ended up cramming in like 12 different styles of vocals. Cool. I even taught him how to rap yeah, right. in the middle of the street, in the middle of the thing. <laughs> it was, he's really good at it. Um, <laughs> Just a talented bloke. He is. He takes, he takes direction really well. I mean, I've yeah. been working with him for three years before we mm-hmm, did this. Mm-hmm. So like, it's all well and good that I was able to do this in two days, but it took three years of relationship yeah, building absolutely. with this guy to be able to pull it off. Oh, 100%. Um, yeah. Because, like, he's he's a very confident guy as well. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I thought to myself, I'm like, how the hell has no one else decided to go and do this thing? Mm-hmm. And I'm realising it's like, well, it's it's very hard to pull off. Yeah. Like, There's a lot of moving parts, yeah. There is, exactly. Yeah. Yep. So we did all that and then I um, I sat down and went through the process of filming me doing all the post, like mm-hmm. all the mm-hmm. post-production, editing, yep. Yep. tuning and everything, which yep. was a long process. Oh, yeah. And then all the, and then I did all the mixing and then I analyzed and broke down the whole vocal mix as well. Well, cause you're not only like in a standard mix session, mm. you would have recorded the vocals in the style that you knew that you wanted the song to sound like. Whereas by the sounds of things, you've done it. 12 different ways, mm. not 
not, not having an intent for necessarily what the song's going to sound like, but the intent is more for showcasing what how you can, you can do, how, how you can, what you can do with a vocal yeah. in 12 different styles and how. Well, yeah. kind of, yeah. I mean, I definitely think we the intention came out that we wanted the song mm. to have all these different things because mm-hmm. it's very like, it's a very eclectic, progressive, but still super, super catchy song. Mm-hmm. Um, like we did this one thing in the bridge where I got him to do, because the song is, is, is um, unfortunately he has epilepsy and the song is actually about how his doctors were misdiagnosing this medication for him that yeah, was wow. actually making him essentially lose his mind. Far out. Um, and so the, the song was essentially basically his way of like screaming out at, yeah. you know, yeah, these yeah. medical professionals that they weren't listening to him. Yeah. Um, you know, the song, like literally the chorus says, you know, get it out, get it out of my mind, you know, you're a, Clown, yeah, um, I, yeah, I, you're a fucking clown. Like, I yep. the like the like, and then it goes like, I thought this shit was meant to was meant to make me well, and not but not to like keep out like to keep out the sanity in my mind. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. And then full on, really full on, like really full on stuff. And then mm. in the bridge, um, we did this thing where we got the idea. I forget which Slipknot song it was, but it's like essentially he starts like talking. And then there's all these whispered voices that come in and out of yeah, him, yeah. like, talking back to himself. Right. And then there's also, like, the sound of, like, uh, you know, these these medical professionals just, like, pressing pressing a button in and looking in on him yeah. and just, like, analysing him and, and saying that, like, you know, they're trying to do more experiments on him and yeah, yeah. just really, Abstract, really weird abstract, and just, yeah. like, diving further into mm-hmm, the story. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. But, yeah, uh, so... That was definitely a lot of fun and I'm mm-hmm. going to have to show you the song. Oh, yeah, please. <laughs> I'll play it for you after this. But, uh, yeah, man. Yeah, but um, doing all the filming because yeah. eventually I had to just film it all myself. I yeah. started off getting my mate to come and Cooper to come and help me with some of the, the filming post that and then I just had to do it all myself. Yeah. Um, and then I had to find someone to edit uh, the hundreds of gigs of yeah. video footage. Yeah, yeah. Crazy, crazy. We ended up cutting it down to like 16 hours. Yep. For 40 videos. Yep. Um, and and that, that course is out now? That course is now finally out. It took from start to finish, from start of the production to finish of the course being released, it was two years. Yeah. Um, and well, it's congrats. called, <laughs> yeah, thanks, man. Um, I haven't had very many people pick it up yet, but that's just because it's, you know, it's underground. It's hard to find about these things. Yeah, but well, it only came out a couple of weeks ago, didn't it? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah. I've had one guy. So far, the people who've been getting it have been in the States. Okay. Which is sick. Yeah, awesome. Um, yeah, it's called Extreme Vocal Production, but it's not for like extreme vocal. It's just to show you the extremes of what you can do yes. in vocal yep. production. Yep. And it's designed to basically teach anybody mm-hmm. – how to be a killer vocal producer. I mean, I've got a whole video there about the psychology of being yeah, yeah. a producer. Yeah, yeah. Because it's, it. it's stuff that like a lot of people don't teach. Yeah. I think um, I've said this before even on this podcast is what you see on, you know, free resources like YouTube is people tend to do the same thing. Mm. They regurgitate information as well. Mm. So you're seeing a lot of the same video that's just done slightly differently and 
just being regurgitated by people that haven't necessarily got experience in it either. Mm. And so the the valuable resources are things like, you know, um, what's it called? Thing over the mi- nail the mix. Yeah. You know, that's a very valuable resource oh, yeah, because awesome. you're hearing from professionals. Yeah. Whereas when you're watching videos on YouTube, which is fair enough, it's free. Why wouldn't you? I do. Yeah. But once you've been doing it for a long time, you start to see these common threads and it's like, you're not the one teaching that. You're just regurgitating it. And so people are seeing the same thing, but they're not really learning what the actual process is. Mm. They're just saying like, yeah, you just click here, add this plugin, and that's what it is. It's like there's way more to it than that. (laughs) You are missing all of the important things. Also, you're not actually learning. Correct. You're just kind of seeing. Mm. And the learning is the important part, of course, and the practicing of it. Exactly. And so – that sounds extremely, extremely <laughs> valuable. Um, so yeah, definitely, definitely look into that. Hey, thanks so much for listening so far. There is plenty more to come, so don't go anywhere. I just wanted to let you know that this podcast is made completely independently by myself with no sponsors. So if you like what you hear and you would like to show your support, you can send a donation to the PayPal link, paypal.me slash what's that sound. The link is also in the show notes. Thanks so much for your support and let's get back to it. Let's um let's get a bit nerdy and talk specifics about first of all gear. Yes. Some hardware. Give us give us your favorite bits of hardware and why. So currently my favorite bit of hardware uh oh, that's a the hard question. I'm going to say my favorite bit of hardware is probably my Warm Audio U87. Cool. And the reason being is because I I started using U87s when I got a mic parts, which is a UK company where you can build microphones together. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't build it. Chris did and then sold it to me Um, (laughs) because because I am one of the things that I'm not very good at, which is something that as an engineer you'd need to be good at, is I'm not good at soldering. (laughs) But it is, it's actually really, it's important. Yeah. I'll let someone else do that. I'll I'll happily pay for someone else to do that. (laughs) For sure. Um, So I started using the mic parts U87 Mm -hmm. and I used it for a lot of, obviously for a lot of singing vocals and clean vocals and all that. Mm -hmm. But on a whim, I decided one day, because I put it, it's got a 20 dB pad on it. Cool. I started using it for aggressive vocals over using the SM7B. Yeah, yeah. And realized that like it was so clear, but it could take the heat. Mm-hmm. And so my, that mic, um, I had some tech issues with it. There were some signal flow things and I had to pass it on to my mate Greg to fix it. Yep. And in the meantime, I had that pop session come along. Yep. And so I hit up Chris and I was just like, Chris, like, I've been eyeing off the Warm Audio 87. I know you've got one. Yeah. How do you rate it versus the mic parts? Because he still has one too. And right. he's like, look, man, like, honestly, just just, just go for it. Just, just go the, for it, yeah. The, the Warm Audio one, yeah. Yeah, so awesome. I, I picked it up and um, it's killer. Mm. It's especially that combined with the Warm Audio 73 EQ. Yes. Um, which... I know I'm a bit of a warm audio guy and that's totally fine. Like there's a lot of other brands that are killer, but I just love how they do the really high quality vintage gear at a price that means that producers can actually afford yeah. it. Yeah. Yep. Like yep. you don't have to go and spend, like if I wanted to buy, cause the next thing I want to get is the, the WA 47. Yep. Um, if I want to go and get a, like a real 47. Yeah. 
it's 10, 15, 20K, depending yeah, on yeah, which model. Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm eyeing off the uh, the 84s, the overheads, because I need some new overhead mics. So Yes, and, uh, uh, I have I'm used those, to, and yep. I can tell you they are they are sick. Yep. They are really sick. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, for me, it's not one piece of gear. Yep. It's one brand. Yeah, cool. Warm, warm audio. Beautiful. I mean, I, I definitely say that everything that I've used, I've got the Tone Beast, the WA-73, the WA-76 mm-hmm. and the WA-87. So I've got their 1176. I've got their, yeah, yeah. their 1073. Yep. I've got their, you know, U87 clone. I've got mm-hmm. the Mark One version. Okay. Um, the difference between the Mark One and the Mark Two is not very much. Mm-hmm. They don't sell the Mark One anymore, so there you go. it's fine. Yep. Um, and, yeah, they just keep releasing killer microphones. Yeah. I mean, I, I said that the U47 is the, like, choice for me but if i end up getting more uh inquiries on the the trap production stuff that yeah, i've been yep. doing a lot of lately yep. it's actually going to be the 800 yeah right yep yep the sony rip knockoff yeah because yeah. i've i listened to like a lot of the examples that they've got mm-hmm, with it mm-hmm. and it is like absolutely insanely clear yeah but it can handle the heat yeah as yeah well yeah, yeah yeah beautiful what about software Let's, I mean, um, it doesn't have to be specifically plugins. Yep. Just software in general. I mean, I'm going to say it. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Cubase is king. <laughs> <laughs> no, the reason why I love Cubase is because as much as it's got tons of power when it comes to mixing, yep. its MIDI integration is just so powerful. You can build your own um, macros for things. Yep. Um, I've done quite a lot of, uh, work, like Mm -hmm. making drums, making drums sound realistic. And I've just been able to build my own macros now where I can just be like, I write out the drums and then I go bang, bang, bang. Yeah. And it it just humanizes everything. Yeah. Yep. Yep. But to the way that I know that I want it rather than like a algorithm, so to speak. Yep. 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 Um, and the inbuilt stock, uh, very audio graphical tuner in Cubase is super powerful. Cool. Um, yeah, I honestly, like, I think it works really well because they keep adding extra functions in Cubase that are like Ableton and FL Studio. Yep. So it's becoming more and more, like they already have all the stuff that mm. works really well for the mixing and the engineering. Yeah. Um, they just keep on adding more stuff that yep. works in the like EDM, pop, yeah, electronic yeah. world. Yep. yep. Um. I mean, I know that FL and Ableton are still personally, I think, probably better for that. But, like, the fact that you could be in the middle of a mix and you'd be like, I want to make a vocal chop with this thing. Yeah. Just bang, 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 bang. Yeah. You don't have to, like, put it into another door. Yeah, or yeah, exactly. All that kind of stuff. I'm a yeah. big Studio One guy, as you can see. but uh, That's all right. And, I mean, it's it is – they're all going down similar paths. I think definitely some are focused on, you know, more, you know – electronic music production style things. But I think in in a very similar way, Studio One is incorporating all of the parts of the different, uh, you know, doors that mm. and to bring it together to make a really powerful, sounding very similar to Cubase in my opinion. But um, I, I haven't used Cubase before. I've, I've known people that used it, but uh, yeah, it's been Studio One for me. That's all right. <laughs> Since the start. I'm a bit of a Personas fanboy though. That's, that's Personas, okay. Personas, Personas. Yeah, 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 no, no, no. I actually do. One of the pieces of hardware that I've been saving to get my hands on is the fader port. Yeah. So the fact that because for automation. Yeah, 100%. 
Yeah, it's so good for MIDI automation, for plugin automation. So good. Yeah, so man. Good. I mean, I want to be able to write that that mix automation in. 100%. Um, especially, like, even just the subtle things, like adjusting the bass across different sections. Well, for, for synths, it's so unbelievably good to have something that all you need to do is move a fader mm. and to get the, the scope of the sound to change the, you know, you know, the LFOs or anything like that is just crazy. Anything that makes your life easier is worth looking into. And I think we'll get into like hacks mm. for lack of a better term later, but I want to stick on software. Let's, let's go into plugins. What, what sort of plugins are you loving at the moment? Um, so there's a few plugins that I'm a big, big fan of. Mm -hmm. The first one that I'm probably the biggest fan of uh, is one that everyone uses mm -hmm. for good reason, mm -hmm. and that's ProQ3. Yes. And yep. the reason being is because essentially if you have ProQ3, except for Creative EQ, you have everything you need for your entire mix. Mm -hmm. And also because of the way that it works with the dynamic mm -hmm. stuff mm -hmm. that it's been yep. added in, you actually have... A lot of people don't use it because they have like Pro MB or anything along those mm -hmm. lines, but mm -hmm. you essentially have everything that you need in that one plugin yep. for all your individual tracks, all your buses and your master bus, yep. and it's all in the one plugin. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you can use it in so many creative, not just technical ways. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Love it. Yeah. AQs, compressors? Compressors, yes. Uh I'm going to throw a spanner in the works and say that one of my favorite compressors is a compressor that a lot of people don't treat as a compressor. Right. Decapitator. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yep. Using it as more of a clipper, sort of a just cut cutting the top off. Uh, kind of. Kind of. Kind of. I use it as a, uh, a flavor compressor. Right. My other favorite one is either the Waves 1176 mm -hmm. or... The SSL channel strip compressor. Yep. Yep. Um, and uh, the the two way, which now I use the uh, the slate one mostly. Yep. Just because ease. Yeah. But the warm audio one's just as good. Yeah. Cool. Um, but yeah, Love I would it. say eleven seventy six. Just yeah, really, really awesome. Unreal, unreal. Let's get into the to the hacks. What are some of the best pieces of advice in terms of workflow that yep. you can pass on, um, whether that's for vocals or is it for drums, whatever it might be. Yeah. Go. Okay. So probably the most important thing for vocal engineering is before you even press record, mm -hmm. spend way more time with your microphone placement mm -hmm. and your sibilance control mm -hmm. than you think you need to. Mm -hmm. There are, Three that I know of, and there's way more as mm -hmm, well, mm -hmm. three ways that you can reduce sibilance mm -hmm. coming in. One is a pop filter. Mm -hmm. Two is putting a pen or a pencil yep. across the top of the mic. And three is by, and this one gets a little bit funky, mm -hmm. is by taking the microphone and rotating it about 15, 10 or 15 degrees. Right and then angling it slightly further forward yep. or slightly back. Yep. So the vocalist is hitting the capsule, mm -hmm. but the on capsule is on an angle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you're still getting all of the power, Yep. but because high frequency travels uh, faster mm -hmm. and has a much slower distance that it'll travel, the... And it's directional as well. Exactly. It's directional. is going to disappear a little bit more. Yep. Nice. And that's something that... 
Um, I got lucky. I learned that one off uh, a producer over in the States during like a couple yeah. of calls with him. Yep. Um, and he was just like, look, dude, like all these pop producers that I know over in LA are doing this technique. And I'm yeah, like, yeah. it's just got to try it. I'm to try it. And I'm like, I was noticing the, like the, the, you know, for me, I see when I, when I'm editing vocals now, mm-hmm. I do it by, I can almost always do it by eye now because yeah, I'm yeah. used to seeing what certain yes. waveforms, waveforms look like. Yeah, yeah. And you know the the like squiggly S? Yeah, yeah. Yep. I was noticing that that was coming down a little bit, but the Fs, like the, the real hard Fs yeah, at the yeah. start of things and the Ps, mm-hmm. I was finding that they were going from like this down mm-hmm. to about this. Yeah, nice. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. Love it. Yeah. Unreal, man. So, this is... This is why I love this podcast because I'm learning shit too. It's awesome. Um, what determines, I guess we've, we've kind of already touched on this, but what, when you listen to other people's music, yes, what determines a good mix or a good production to you? Okay. So I'd say the first thing that I notice, a good example is actually, so I listen to a lot of different, different mm-hmm, styles. Mm-hmm. The first thing that I notice is how much of the vocal character mm-hmm. is left mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the performance because people are really notorious, especially even on a professional level, but just very much so on a like intermediate level. Yep. People are notorious for over nuking their vocals, mm-hmm. over tuning them mm-hmm. and not taking the time to get a good performance in the studio. Yeah, yeah. And it's also dependent on style, Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of like, take for instance, I've really enjoyed, like I really enjoy, um, uh, what's his name? I really enjoy um, Black Bear. Oh, yeah. And I really enjoy Lauv. Yep. Right? And certain productions that they do Mm -hmm. have a lot of processing on them Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and other times they sound really, really raw and dry. But the thing is, even when they're super produced, you can hear the character Mm -hmm. still left in the voice. Mm -hmm. And the same thing is true for like, I hear this with Modson versus like Machine Gun Kelly. Mm. Or um, another great example would be... um, someone like spirit box. Okay. Uh, so like, she's got a lot of character in her voice. They don't overtune her. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you listen to like, bring me the horizon. Mm-hmm. Right now <laughs> we know that like Ollie has said many a time, he's like, and, and Jordan Fisher said this as well. Like naturally he's not a great, great singer. Yep. But who cares? Because he's going out of his way to try and create awesome music. Yeah. Yeah. But like, even though there's a lot of processing on his voice, mm. they always leave the character in there, the inflections. Well, I, I think the the thing about Bring Me the Horizons music, the way it's produced and mixed, is more that the music is that like over the top production, whereas the vocals, you're right, they do tend to leave them. Like it has to be really emotive, like we've talked about the whole yeah. the whole podcast. Is the emotion has to be left in? So it's a really good point. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I love it. Well, you've given us so much uh, advice already, but yeah. I always like to finish off with asking if you have any specific bits of advice for, first of all, producers, engineers, yes. and then artists. Right. Okay. So for producers and engineers, um, 
honestly, probably the biggest piece of advice that I can give you mm. is to believe in yourself mm-hmm. because um, doing, being a producer and most people who are producers are either art, have been artists or are like extremely passionate about music. Mm-hmm. Believe in yourself uh, but don't forget that if you're choosing to be a producer, you're choosing to have a career where you are in the service industry. So you are there to serve the production. That doesn't mean that you need to be like, you know, rolled over or destroyed for the sake of it. Like mm. your sanity and your health is the most important thing for you. Mm-hmm. So try to remember to like just enjoy the process as much as you can and really, really, really take this to heart. If you don't know what you're doing and you're afraid of like not knowing the answer, reach out to your production peers or or people who are like other producers that you admire mm-hmm. or that you've seen online or anything along those lines. Mm-hmm. There's very, very, very few people that I've met in the music industry who are producers who are not happy to either give you, to give you the help, mm-hmm. let you know that they can provide you with one-on-one mentoring for that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff Mm -hmm. or direct you to somebody else who will. Yes. Almost every single producer that I've met will do that regardless. They may not respond to you straight away and you might need to be a bit patient, (laughs) Yeah. but they will either help you or direct you to where Mm -hmm. you need to go. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. I love it. As for artists, uh, the one thing I would say is once you think you are ready, and you want to start working with a producer, do yourself the biggest favor you can, reach out to them and try and understand how their process is and then give yourself time to be able to hone your piece of music or your song before you then go in with that producer. Mm -hmm. And do remember that like, some producers will try and some people who, who might have a bit of a strong hand might be like, tell you what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it is your piece of music. You have final say. You always have final say. And if you don't have final say, you need to move away. Mm. It's your piece of music. A good producer is there to help you, not hinder you. Mm-hmm. They might be saying things that you think are whack and strange and weird and they might have a really good reason to do that. And that's cool but they're there to help you. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't feel like it's a hard process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unreal, man. Well, thanks so much. Um, before we finish up, where can people find you? So uh, they can find me on Instagram at earthtide underscore studios. Uh, I have a website, which is earthtidestudios.com.au. Um, you can find the extreme vocal production course there as well. Uh, you can hit me up to find out whether or not like to find out about my availability for one-on-one production mentoring. Um, usually people hit me up via email at info at earthtidestudios.com.au or they just hit me up in the DM via Instagram. Um, and I also have a YouTube channel where I teach production, mostly vocal production, but um, it could be anything. You can make a request. I'll probably do it. And that's just Earth Tide Studios. And the only other thing, um, we didn't get to talk about it much, but uh, stay tuned on the Earthside Instagram because uh, we're also in the process of building a 2D Metroidvania game. 
<laughs> yeah, we didn't talk about it potentially because I have no idea about what the hell, what the hell that is. But it looks cool. Yeah. It looks cool to me who is not a gamer. Yeah. And um, yeah, and you're very passionate about it. And I <laughs> yeah. love that. So yeah, definitely stay tuned for that. Thanks again, man, for joining me. Um, thank you all for listening and watching. Um, if you want to reach out, you can get in touch with us on Instagram. Uh, What's that sound podcast? Um, you know, do all the classic things, follow, subscribe, like, share it with a friend because that's the best way that, um, you know, we can get this out there. This is valuable information that we want you to have. We want everyone to have access to it. So thanks again. Um, and stay tuned for the next episode of what's that pod? What's that sound podcast? Awesome. I love it. <laughs> thanks Zach. No worries, man. Thanks for listening to what's that sound. Make sure you hit follow or subscribe on your podcast platform to stay up to date with each new episode. We'll catch you next time.